Welcome everyone to Daily Covfefe. Today is Thursday, June 27th. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined as always by the bad mama Gemma, Carrie Smith. Hey, Carrie, how are you doing? I'm good, Carter, how are you? Last night was fun. Yeah, I was just telling you before the show, I'm, I don't really know what to say. Like, I, I'm not a, I'm not a comment on debate kind of guy because like in real time, because it's, they're so boring and <laughs> thing over and over again. It's like, I can speak Spanish. I can speak Spanish. I also like healthcare. I also like. Then, I think you're fine. Nobody cares. I know. I mean, they attacked the one person on the stage with a slightly different opinion about something. What? No endless war? How dare you? You hypocrite. You fucking bitch. <laughs> when, how, how dare you want to get out of Afghanistan? Uh, so. That's but funny. other than that, and oh, and I think uh, Julian got pissed off that Beto was trying to speak Spanish. Right, because he's not a real uh, Hispanic. Yeah, <laughs> also, like, it was broken Spanish. It wasn't even good. I don't know. I don't speak Spanish. So, Yeah, uh, I but, saw a couple of uh, the uh, Lexit people, like the Latinos who've left the Democratic Party, um, posting responses, <laughs> just kind of making fun of the the pandering <laughs> like like one guy had a picture of his reaction just like you know said uh you know candidates speaking one sentence of spanish and then it said like hispanics and it was just a picture of him sitting there like oh, is that supposed to make me vote for you um so i have something i'd like to talk about today yeah this is you today so okay good <laughs> Good. So this this just uh, stoked my ire yesterday. So a friend of mine sent me this. Uh, he uh, he knows I went I went to Duke. I guess, and also it's it's a subject that he knows I'm interested in. It's about the intersection. Ugh, see, they've ruined certain words for me. SJWs have ruined certain words for me. <laughs> but it's about the intersection of uh, social justice ideology and this religion, which is this topic you know that I'm very been very interested in. So this was a uh, Duke Divinity professor who retired yesterday, the day before, and she retired with a scathing open letter. By the way, she'd been on some kind of paid administrative leave for a year, which who knows what that's about. She hasn't even been teaching for a year. Um, she started at Duke Divinity School in 2015. And so she worked a few year, a couple years and then anyway, retired. She retired with a scathing letter, letter in which she accused the whole Duke Divinity School of institutionalized racism and sexism, but she never gives any examples. And this thing is being shared. She's a blue check mark on Twitter. Of course she is. Um, it was picked up and shared by a ton of people. And I saw like pastors and, and uh, clergy members sharing it. And so, you know, this is an outrage, the, the racism in the, at the Divinity School. It's like, back up a minute. Is there anything in here about any racist act towards her? Um, so I just wanted to read this. So she, she, go ahead. Quote, is she a quote marginalized group? She's a black woman. Oh. And, and she does a lot of, um, I mean, she's one of these like SJW Christians where in, in my opinion, just looking through some of her work yesterday and checking out her uh, posts online, she has, she's one of the people like uh, we've talked about. She puts social justice ideology here, God's word here. So everything's filtered through social justice ideology first um, and, and I think that's pretty apparent with the way that she writes. 
um, about God, but it's also apparent just in like her, her musings. So she has this Patreon where she has almost a thousand subscribers, <clears throat> excuse me. And she posted this open letters on her Patreon at public. The only thing that was public. It's like, and if you want to read the rest of my writing, you have to subscribe. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, within a couple hours of, me reading it and a couple of other people I know reading it. I, I posted a, a couple of critical comments. I saw there were maybe two or three critical comments in there. Nothing offensive or over the top, just disagreeing with her. And, and she uh, made it private again. She locked it. She put it behind a paywall. And then she said, well, let me just bring it up. We're going to try it. Carrie's going to try share screen. So uh, one thing about this, this is a screenshot and my friend, um, I have to thank my friend who for putting this together for me because I'm so bad at Photoshop. Anyway, he just like put it all into one thing. So I paid the $2 to become an ally so I could go and get a screenshot of it after she locked it. So I'm inadvertently supporting Christina Cleveland. Look at this, look on the right on her tier benefits. So you can start at two bucks a month, but I like how all the price levels are different for white people. So $2, I mean, you don't have to prove it. I did the $2 level, but if two for allies, if you're a white person, $10 per month. Why, why do you say if you're a white person? Well, that's what ally means. So let's get free is her levels called let's get free. That's $2. But if you're a let's get free ally, that's $10. Uh, move and then look for look under each one of these is like this look movement builder is $15 but if you're a movement builder ally it's $25 it's $10 more if you're white and if well, you, ally means white ally means yes if you're talking about people of color ally means white if you're talking about women ally means men ally is always the the oppressor it's always the privileged person and look in under each description for the white people categories she goes privileged privileged people Here's your chance to practice intersectional justice. <laughs> <laughs> Pay it. Pay me. Pay. <laughs> Pay it forward. And that's under every one of the white people cat. So there's serving resistance is $50 a month. Serving resistance ally is $100 a month. This makes Go ahead. So she really every level has an ally version that's more expensive. Yeah. And that's exactly what that is. And it makes me think of, um, I released a, a comedy album with a, a, one of the clients I represented a few years ago. We did an independent release and we did a reparations kind of a price plan like this. And it was tongue in cheek. It was just funny. We had like a level for uh, people of color. We had a di- the highest level was for white people had to pay the most. This is back when I was an SJW comedy manager, but, but she's doing this for real. Like we were, we did it for real, but it was sort of a joke. She's like for real saying white people pay me more. Um, okay. So let, let's just read this. Ugh. White devil in blue on Duke basketball and being black at Duke divinity school. So, and then look at her little uh, caveat here. This is after she made it private. She says, she basically says uh, she had to make this private because public trolls, trolls are disrupting us. So she, instead of dealing with any of the criticism, she does what SJWs do, which she name calls the people who are criticizing her and tries to dismiss them just by name calling them. Name call, throw a mob after them. If that doesn't work, retreat and name call. Yeah. So retreated to her safe space. Yeah. Mm. Okay. At but we're like off. a cancer. We're in your safe space, lady. <laughs> we're in your safe space. I give you $2 to be in your safe space. 
<laughs> Sorry. Okay. At the tip-off, the ball spiraled to the other team, and the Duke Blue Devils immediately scrambled into a full-court press. Oh, my God, I cringed. Duke was the heavy favorite, and full-court presses, aggressive, frenetic defensive strategies that are designed to discombobulate the other team and force them into making a mistake, are typically reserved for even matchups or late in the game when the score is close. Why begin this game with a full-court press, I wondered. That seems kind of cruel. Maybe Duke really is the evil empire. She's talking about the school that employs her. Is she talking about a sport? She's talking about basketball where people are just yes, hanging out playing basketball. This is her opening criticism? Yes. She's at a Duke basketball game. Yeah, I a just emphasized. Lot- <laughs> talking about a fucking yeah. sport with oh, a ball. And she's criticizing the attack strategy of the Duke basketball team. Is she going to use this as evidence of white nationalism? Oh, yes. Yeah. It seems cruel. Yeah, (laughs) it's cruel. A lifelong college basketball fan, this wasn't my first NCAA game, but as a new faculty member at Duke University's Divinity School, it was my first Blue Devils game. A representative from the school's advancement office had asked me to accompany him and a prospective donor to the game. My transition to Duke had been excruciating, and only a few months in, I was already exhausted. But since the donor's gift would potentially supply much-needed funds for my research, I agreed to attend the game. It well, wasn't... What, how how uh, gracious of you, since this guy potentially wants to give you a whole shitload of money, how gracious of you to agree to go to the basketball game? <laughs> Carter, so I'm so glad you picked that out because that's a recurring theme throughout this piece, which is she, like doesn't like something this happens over and over you'll see she doesn't like something and she'll go but i went ahead and did it anyway because i needed all the money <laughs> right <laughs> yeah damn these people damn these people and my lack of principle i'm like you don't even stick to your own principles you you horrible person it's like if you believe if this is so offensive to you but you're doing it for the money like what is wrong with you you don't even stick to your own beliefs I'm so sorry, i didn't mean to interrupt but that just struck me as odd no, I'm glad you pointed that because that's later in the piece you'll see that recur. So she's there because this guy has a lot of money he could probably give her for her research, right? Her research. Um, okay, so she decided to go. Um, it wasn't until I arrived at Duke's famed Cameron Indoor Stadium and learned who Duke was playing that I began to regret my decision. It was the fault, but did she leave? No. It was Wait, the fault. A decision because it was going to be a boring game. I don't. What's no, the, no, we're getting there. No. It, it was the fall of 2015, and the Duke Blue Devils were the reigning NCAA Division Division One men's basketball champions. Their opponents were the Livingstone College Blue Bears. New to the South, I had never heard of Livingstone College, but upon googling it, I learned that the Division Two Blue Bears had only won about half their games the previous season. The Blue Bears were about to get their asses whooped, and I felt sorry for them. Here we go. But the knot didn't begin to form my gut until I scrolled through Livingstone's website and learned something else about the school. It's a historically black college founded by the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. Oh my God, I thought to myself as I simultaneously found my seat, greeted the donor, and read up on Livingstone's history. The Blue Bears are about to get their black asses whooped. Aren't like 80 or 90% of basketball players black anyway? So somebody looked it up. I don't know. Is Duke very white? I don't know. Well, no. So somebody looked it up just to be specific. This year, this game that she's talking about, there were 13 Duke players. Seven of them were black. Six were white. 
Okay. Okay. That's important. She never mentions that. Okay. So anyway, the, this historically black college, the black, uh, blue, blue bears are about to get their black asses with. That's why I couldn't help but cringe when I witnessed the mostly white blue devils attack the all black blue, blue bears. Wait, wait, what was that ratio you said out of how many were black? Seven black players, six white. So it was not mostly white. No. It was black. The Duke it was, team. It's mostly black. Although the starters that for that game may have been mostly white. I don't know. But, but the game, the team itself. Just want to mostly, clarify. Mostly black. Okay. Yes. So she says the mostly white blue devils, which is a lie. Yes. So anyway, that's why I couldn't help but cringe when I witnessed the mostly white blue devils attack the all black blue bears with a full court press right from the start. I half-heartedly made small talk with the white donor. Why does she have to call out his race? Like the, the thing with, with these people is everything is about race. They are the biggest racist. They are just as bad as the, it, in my opinion, this woman is selling the same thing the KKK is selling. She looks at you and the first judgment she makes about you is about your race. That's the most important thing to her. They, the most important thing to her is what color you are. Yeah, and by the way, I just don't. I, she is the kind of person that makes lower IQ white people want to be racist against black people because she is out there basically seeing everything in terms of color and railing against white people and acting like an entitled little snot so it she reinforces this you know the black woman stereotype of like entitled yeah she's at one of the most elite colleges in the country right and everything is like cringe for her and oh my god for her because it's so horrible uh, just yeah okay so sorry okay. let's keep so okay so so about- i have hardly yeah I have hardly made small talk with the white donor, but my black mind and body trembled as my ongoing Google search uncovered more details about Livingstone. Oh my God, this tiny 700 student HBCU is facing off against the mighty 16,000 student Duke University. Oh my God, Livingstone College is a severely under-resourced institution that perennially struggles to meet its budget while Duke is swimming in a vast pool of money. Oh my God, Livingstone's graduation rate is only 24%. Only a resource vacuum could produce a statistic that dismal. Really? Oh my God, the African Methodist Episcopal Zion denomination that founded Livingstone exists because the white Methodists did not allow black people to fully participate in their churches. Oh my God, the black Methodists founded Livingstone College for black students because white Methodist schools like Duke did not allow black students. Oh my God, the black Methodist blue bears are about to get their asses whooped by the white Methodist blue devils. As I, as I pieced the puzzle together, I recognized that on one level, what was happening on the court was a classic case of David versus Goliath. Um, so she goes on to talk about uh, how poor schools often agree to play preseason games against rich schools because the income from one such game can keep their entire athletic department afloat for a year. Hmm. Okay, but she totally forced to play them because I'm right. sure game. And and by the way, it's an honor for them to play with the. Because, because they're playing with the best. They get to play with the best and sharpen their skills. It's not just about the money. They get to right. play with the, the highest ranked team. Anyway, um, the, power, the power inequity between poor schools and rich schools is so great and so immovable that poor teams endure, endure annual beatings. By rich- <laughs> That's how she views good comp- like healthy competition is a beating. Anyway, they endure annual beatings by rich teams in order to receive a much-needed paycheck. 
This game between Duke and Livingstone was no different. The Blue Bears' ass-whooping at the hands of the Blue Devils was a necessary condition of their survival. Yet what glaringly stood out to me as a newcomer to the South were the racial and religious power dynamics at play in this particular game. This particular game occurred at a predominantly white institution that was funded by income made possible through African slavery. This particular game occurred on a prosperous campus full of buildings honoring Methodist slaveholders such as Carr Hall, which was named after major Duke donor, white Methodist and slaveholder Julian Carr. He publicly boasted of horsewhipping black women. It was in this specific historical and social context that the black Methodist Blue Bears received their own modern day horsewhipping from the white Methodist Blue Devils. <laughs> uh, you know, I, what, what would be interesting to me is if, if we could time travel, it would be interesting to take this woman and have her, have her describe this scene to actual slaves at the time and see if they agree with her. Like, oh, yes, playing basketball against another team is exactly like an ass whipping. Thank yeah. you for the analogy, lady. It's a, it's a, it does a disservice to slavery, frankly. It does a complete, it totally belittles it completely belittles that kind of violent, um, racist, just, just, just the tragedy of that. Like it, to take something like that and try and elevate um, whatever dynamics you see at play on on the court in a basketball. Uh, sorry, on the court of a basketball game and try and say those are somehow related. It's just one of the worst analogies I've ever seen. But it's not the worst one that she makes yet. Okay, oh. so they're about to get their own modern. Modern day horse whipping. Uh, okay, more than a classic case of David versus Goliath, this matchup was a classic case of enslaved versus slaveholder. <laughs> Just uh, as how? I know how this is all in her head. This is a crazy person. By the way, the only thing that she's cited so far is one of Duke's donors, presumably a long time ago, obviously, was a slaveholder. That's all she's, yeah. Um, that's, that's what she's got. There's a donor who was a slaveholder, which I, I get. That's kind of bad, but it's not like it's a current donor. It was bad, obviously. To be clear, Carter, you're not saying being a slaveholder is kind of bad. <laughs> you're no, saying, no, I know. Fact, you know, the fact that 150 years later, we're at an institution where, you know, there was 150 years ago, someone who don't like, uh, okay, that's, that that I mean, it doesn't make Duke unique to institutions. I mean, that's in our nation's history. It's like anyway. that's not that's in the world's history. That's in the world's history. Yeah, I always yeah. forget that. I I do it's that thing. That, <laughs> yeah, like lots of African slaveholders who were black who sold their slaves to people that donated to Duke. So okay, let's scroll on down. Okay. So just a stone's throw away, conspicuously situated among the Christian saints that line the entrance to Duke's opulent Gothic chapel, stood a life-size statue of Robert E. Lee. His prominent presence, by the way, Robert E. Lee, not a slaveholder. His prominent presence at the center of Duke religious life silently declared a holy benediction on the modern-day horsewhipping occurring over at the basketball court. How many times can she compare a basketball game to, be, to a slave being horsewhipped? Um, so uh, having just taught a course on Malcolm X, immediately I thought of his definition of a white devil. 
Unless we call one white man by name a devil, we are not speaking of any individual white man, we are speaking of the collective white man's historical record. When the collective history remains unatoned, the white devil lives on. It lives on in the Methodist Church's unwillingness to reckon with its racist past and present. It lives on in Confederate monuments all over the South. It lives on in racial discrepancies among graduation rates. It lives on at a stupid rich Duke, while financially fraught, historically black colleges suffer just a few miles down the road. It lives on in this basketball game in which the embodied souls of black boys must endure a beating in order for their college to survive another year. It lives on in Duke Blue. Endure a beating. This is a basketball game. Ugh. Trapped in my own thoughts, I only looked up at the game when the crowd cheered because someone had just scored. Not surprisingly, the mostly white Blue Devils did most of the scoring as the black Blue Bears toiled under Duke's ruthless attack. But once in a while, a black Blue Bear would score, and when that happened, I couldn't help but cheer wildly. My instinctual pro-blackness could not be suppressed. <laughs> the donor, a white Methodist... <laughs> <laughs> a white Methodist minister who possessed the money I needed to be successful at Duke. Like, oh, wait, 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 I just, I just, see how okay. much resentment is in there? Yeah. And by the way, he he possessed the money nine times out of ten. Well, chances are he didn't just possess the money. Chances are he made the money by being more productive than you, and he's going <laughs> to give it to you out of generosity. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But like that, yeah, that sentence, it just drips with um, jealous, like it drips with resentment. I entitlement. I am owed this money kind of thing, right? The donor, a white Methodist minister who possessed the money I needed to be successful at Duke, repeatedly glanced at me, surveilling my unabashed support of Livingstone. Well, because you were fucking Duke and he's here to give Duke a donation. So... And you're cheering yeah. for the other team? Yeah. I'm a little confused by you, you moron. Just before halftime, he leaned toward me and whispered into my ear, I see you. I see you cheering for the other team. His remark was a warning, a reminder that he held the key to my success and that he was watching me. Maybe it was like a funny little jab. Yes. Like if I was a donor, I might not care who she was rooting for because I don't care about sports. And I might be like, I see you. I see who you're rooting for, just as a friendly little jab. It's, a, it's like teasing. I, only a person who is so hateful and race-obsessed and racist would automatically take that comment and be like, this, met, this was a warning. <laughs> like, no, no. You're, you're, it's in your head, you crazy person. Okay. It's called camaraderie, but you can't see it because you don't see him as equal to you. Yeah, all you see him as is a white man who has money that you want. Right. He's an, a- he's an ATM to you. So when he tries to have a human connection and tease you, you don't understand it because you don't view him as the same level. Right. Okay, so this part, I don't know. I probably am not going to read this inward because not because I believe that I can't say words. I just don't want us to get um, taken down off YouTube. So I'm just going to substitute it. But just re- you can see here that she uses the actual word several times, which I just find disgusting. But anyway, um, it also reinforced the truth 
that though I was a quote invited guest sitting in the stands, I was no different than the black blue bears on the court. We were all inwards on the same plantation. They were the field inwards toiling under the brutal whip on the court. I was a house inward under surveillance in the big house required. You could quit and did. You could quit, but she didn't for four years. Well, uh, she milk that guy dry. <laughs> right. She had to milk that dude first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was a blah, blah, house inward under surveillance in the big house required to play a role in order to maintain my, quote, special status. As long as I didn't identify with the field inwards on the court, I could remain in the stands and retain access to the slavery endowed bounty of Duke. As long as I didn't speak up about the living, breathing white devil in blue, I would never find myself in a resource vacuum like Livingstone College. The white donor's words were simply a reinforcement because I had learned this lesson in a visceral way just two weeks prior to the game. In a one-on-one meeting with my dean, I naively shared my unfiltered concerns about the overwhelming institutional racism at Duke Divinity School and how I believed it was negatively impacting my transition as a new black faculty member, as well as the transitions of the new black students. Like the white blue devils, the dean responded right off the bat with a full court press. She leaned forward in her throne-like chair, stared me in the eye and said, quote, you know, some people just aren't cut out to be faculty at Duke Divinity School. It sounds like you're one of them. I want to give you permission to leave. In the dean's office that day, I kept my mouth shut. Like the poor basketball teams who have endured a trouncing by the rich teams in order to stay alive, I endured the dean's whipping. She's comparing her meeting with a dean. That's a whipping. Yeah. She's comparing her meeting with a dean at one of the most elite institutions in the world to being, to a slave being horse whipped. Like the amount of arrogance and just, just, I, I, I almost am speechless because it's so disgusting. I think it's one of the most vile things I've ever seen is to take, take something that is, you're in such a privileged position and to take a meeting that you don't like and say, yes, it was just like a slave being beat. Like, what is wrong with you? Perhaps your argument to the dean was something like this article in which you presented no real evidence and saw racism everywhere. And so the dean was like, maybe you don't belong here if that's how you view everything. Yeah. Maybe you don't. And, and I, by the way, kudos to that dean because everything I've read so far tells me about this woman, Christina Cleveland, that she's a horrible, resentful person, an entitled person that's probably really sucks to be around, who's a racist and sees everything in terms of race. And you know what? You're probably not a good team member. You probably did not belong there. And you just delayed it for a while so you could milk. Anyway, look at the last few sentences. This goes back to your earlier point. The last few sentences are my favorite, Carrie. Yeah. Okay. So she goes, uh, I endured the Dean's whipping. And during the second half of the game, I made a concerted effort to cheer for the white blue devils as they horse whipped the black blue bears. The white donor was pleased with my performance. And at the end of the game, he agreed to help fund my research project. After the game, I returned to my office to put in a few more hours of work. As I walked by Duke Chapel on my way to the Divinity School, Robert E. Lee mocked me in the silver moonlight, white devil in blue indeed. Right. Well, I mean, so this goes back to what I was saying earlier. It was probably a friendly, I think you used the word teasing. 
though he was teasing her. He ended up funding her. He didn't care that she was rooting for the wrong team. Now she'll say, well, I, he only did it because I switched to rooting for the Blue Devils, but I, that's a uh, just that's just made up. She has no... It's made we up. We don't even know if she did switch. Frankly, I don't believe that she did. I don't believe... I don't. This is the other thing. When someone writes like this, I just don't believe them. I just don't no. believe in facts because they're clearly deranged and delusional. So... So here's a little postscript about her resigning. And this is where she makes the accusations she makes. And she made them previously in another private blog post that I read too. But anyway, today, June 25th, I resigned from my faculty position at Duke Divinity School. When I joined the faculty in 2015, I was excited and hopeful that Duke Divinity School would be an enriching environment in which to continue my work on theology and justice. On the contrary, I encountered an ongoing and insidious legacy of anti-black racism that produces an environment that is insufferably hostile to black people. Hence my resignation. She offers no evidence, nothing, not one thing to point to, not not a single, this thing happened to me, like nothing. Well, Carrie, requiring evidence is oppression. <laughs> you dig it. Yeah. I mean, you should see the comments. It's full of uh, white SJWs who are all wanking her off about like, you know, thank you for this powerful piece. And then the couple people that were disagreeing, there's somebody who actually is at the Divinity School now who was in the comments like disagreeing. And they all responded to him the way that SJWs do, which was, you know, how dare you question her lived experience of racism? <laughs> and how dare you? And he was offering facts like, hey, guys, uh, the team was actually uh, primarily black that year. It was seven black players and six white players. And they're like, how dare you? Her lived experience was that they were all white. <laughs> right. Her lived experience was <laughs> not factual. But so uh, uh, w one of the most horrible things I saw in the comments were, um, was that one of the white SJWs did what they do as well, which was to make a veiled threat. He, he basically doxed the guy who was, who was um, disagreeing, the guy from the Divinity School. And he was like, hey, I, look, like, I looked you up. Isn't your dad so-and-so? And he's dean at the school. And wouldn't it be horrible if they found out about your comments here? And maybe you want to think twice about Like he basically was threatening him, which is what they do all the time. It's like, I could make life a lot harder for you if you don't stop disagreeing with me on the internet. Um, well, yeah. I mean, they're not making uh, social justice people look very good to observers on the outside. But why, why do people, my friend that had sent me this, we were talking, he's like, how could any honest and intellectually minded person support this? believe it because she's got a ton of support people are sharing this she's got a ton of new subscribers because of this people are like oh the hor horrific racism she's talking about like i think that that was his gracious way of saying that people who support this are either not honest or they're not being intellectually minded yeah i think obviously you can't support this if you're i don't think you can support this even if you're honest i don't think you even need to be i don't know what intellectually minded means but you I think honest people can't support this. Well, I, I would put it, I'm not, I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but I think for me, it's like, I know there are some honest people who support this, but they're not that bright or they're not, uh, they're not really looking deeply. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm overestimating people's intelligence level. You are but because yeah. It, the thing that strikes me as interesting is uh, about this attitude is there's something 
there's something childlike about this in that the view of the people on the far left is that everything in the world, like every, like everything, not trees and grass, but like phones and money in a bank account and computers and cars, like everything is just kind of magically there and, and randomly in the hands of some people and not others. And it's almost like there's like a universe that's produced an iPhone and put it into white people's hands because of some kind of racism rather than, hey, all those, that money that that donor had, he may have inherited it. I don't know the donor, but someone worked for it, right? It was produced. It was produced. And there's this resentment that you have to do anything to get things. Like, so a normal person looks out at the world. A normal, rational, not a solipsist person looks out at the world and goes, wow, nature sucks. It's pretty fucking harsh. I like naked in the woods alone, I would probably die. Uh, there's things aren't just, you know, iPhones don't pop up, clothes don't pop up, education doesn't pop up. You know, I don't get the internet magically. I need all these other people. Humans are amazing. Look at these things that they've developed and I can trade with them. And the productive and creative capacity of the human race is amazing. Look at us. Look at the stuff that we've done. Wow, I would really like to be productive myself so I can trade some of that productivity and, you know, get my research grant or whatever it is she wants. But her attitude, which is common, is like she doesn't understand that this, all this stuff, this microphone, this computer, this isn't, this isn't naturally occurring. It wasn't stolen from anyone. No one had it. It was created. There, there isn't a pile of technology somewhere that people are stealing or a pile of money that white people are hoarding, except for central bankers. But there's, there's, <laughs> there's, no, there's no like pile of stuff that people are, that naturally occurs. These are, these are productive outputs. This is output of productivity. And, but there's this resentment. It's almost like if you went camping with her, she would resent the fact that there wasn't air conditioning naturally occurring on her campsite and blame it on white people. Yeah. <laughs> the person she is. <laughs> and if somebody, and if somebody in her camping group who was white happened to think ahead and bring like one of those personal fans or something, yeah. she would be just like full of resentment and as if that was a function of their racism that they, right. they brought that something. <laughs> Evidence of oppression. This sounds like she's like one of probably the most horrible people to be around just based on this piece. I'm like, I cannot imagine you want to talk about insufferable. Uh, one last thing at the end, I know I'm not sharing my screen anymore, but she says, uh, she says, as I reveal the details of my horrific four years at Duke Divinity schools, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you're a horrific experience. You sound like a horrific person. <laughs> like you do. And the thing about these people, the way, SJWs, Go ahead. Go ahead. But I was just real quick. The thing about SJWs, they don't. This is this is something I see in a lot of them. They're always looking outside. It could never be them. So that meeting with that dean that she she disgustingly describes as 
like a slave being brutalized. Um, it never occurs to her like, Hey, maybe the problem's me. She's probably one of those people that goes from job to job and has trouble with everyone. And, and it's always, but it's, it's never her. It's always the other person like perpetual victim. I just keep getting put in these situations where, you know, people are just, they don't, they don't get my unique talents and gifts and they're just, it's their racism. It's not that I'm a horrible person. Right. Well, it's that, it's that, it's that passive entitled approach to life where it's here I am at the campsite. Where's my fucking air conditioning rather than I need to do something to create the environment I want and get people to voluntarily interact with me and behave in ways that people want to help me and exchange goods with me. And like, it, there's that kind of like, here I am, where's tenure, cushy job. And you know, like, where's all the stuff I want. That's the attitude. Yeah. And, you know, obviously people like her would not survive in, I mean, few of us would survive in nature, but even in a, you know, I talk about like free markets and capitalism being superior. It, it's not, it is morally superior. It's not good for a lot of people. Like, uh, like free markets are great for people who want to be productive and work hard and honest and you know, interact voluntarily with other people and they'll work great. It'll work out good for you if that's the kind of person you are. But if you're an entitled moocher, free market's not good for you. You, you may starve. You may, well, you totally. may run around begging churches for charity to stay alive because... Her bread and butter is, is racism, is, is peddling this idea that she's a, some victim of oppression like and that but but what's what's weirder is that it, like we've talked about before her bread and butter is also racism and that that's what she's selling she's selling racism she is a racist she practices racist beliefs she pre, she speaks racist words and yet she sells it as if she's fighting these things just like all sjw's do and and um you know after i read this i was thinking about the discussion you and i had about calling people evil or not and um I still would not go so far as to call her evil. I do not no, know her. No, you, you're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. I would not call her evil. Oh, however, God. however. In comments, side with me on this one. I know a lot of you sided with Carrie. How can you not call this person evil? Oh my God, I'm sorry, Carrie. Okay, but here's what I will say. Here's what I will say. I will call her a charlatan and a snake oil salesman. And I will say that she is speaking evil and I will say that she is selling and pushing an evil belief system into the world. And I think she's a, she's a merchant of an evil ideology. She's a purveyor of evil. That's, I, I see you're walking right up to the line. And I, <laughs> I accept that. That's very nice of you. Uh, I will call her an evil purveyor of evil ideology. <laughs> she is an evil human being. She's evil. Well, um, hey, what, look. What a, horrible individual this this person is but at the end carter she tells you that she's still here to generously offer her intellectual gifts to the world <laughs> <laughs> without the reliable paycheck that comes from being a faculty member at some ivory tower <laughs> well become ahead. an ally <laughs> yeah well i i think part of what happens is so she clearly whether or not you think she's evil she clearly has a lot of anger and resentment in her heart. She's clearly, she's clearly 
resenting a lot and she's angry and upset. And maybe she would say, I should be because, you know, historical racism or whatever. Or I should be because of that basketball game, whatever her justification is. But she clearly has a lot of anger and resentment in her heart. And this gets back to something that we've said before that I heard from Fox Day originally, SJWs always project. She's, she projects that onto other people. So one of the reasons that she sees evil everywhere and she sees nasty people everywhere she goes is she's a nasty person. Yes. And she assumes that everyone else is just as entitled and, and despicable and petty as she is. So and un- unprincipled, like, like right. the, the whole thing about, uh, I kept my mouth shut and I, to, to repeat that several times, I, I just, I went along. She's basically saying she's not going along with her own beliefs because the money is more important. That's gross. I don't, well, I may not agree with your beliefs, but stick to them. Right. Money is more. So that tells me right there that, it, it, so for her, I would say if you were to rank her idea, her gods, her first God is money. Her second God is SJW ideology. Maybe way I think down her here. God is power, and and money's a proxy. Yeah, power, money, SJW ideology. Maybe way down here is God. Yeah, well, she doesn't really talk about anything Christian. She does in some of her other writings. She's got this whole thing about how uh, imagining uh, being able to see God on the cross as a black woman, and like she's got uh, just it's a bunch of SJW claptrap. Yeah, well, obviously this is. That's her expertise, SJW Claptrap. So, <laughs> professor of SJW Claptrap. And I'm not even going to get into this. Like, we, we didn't even touch on this. This is long enough. But the whole thing about, like, just calling white people devils. And, I'm, I mean, I'm used to hearing this stuff from SJWs now. It's like, it's like water off a duck's back. But it's like, you are engaging in dehumanizing language. That's what you're doing. Dehumanizing racist language. And these are the people that are teaching your children. So if you sent your kid to Duke Divinity School in the last several years, this person taught your child, likely. This is what your tuition money goes to. So this is the, the reason to expose this isn't just to get angry, but it's so that you can change your behavior so that you can stop supporting this woman's salary. Thank you for letting me do a little bit of a long form on this. I just was so, I, I felt like, I, I read a lot of really disgusting SJW stuff. This is just one of the most vile that I've read in a while. No, thank you for doing it. It was, it was good to walk through. I think it's, it's eye-opening. So I think it was good, Carrie. Let's remind everyone to join us tonight. I would like to go, I think I'm going to start a half an hour early. So that, and and maybe... We'll have like a a little intro card that'll play for a little while, but maybe Carrie and I, you know, maybe we'll start, you know, 15, 20 minutes early just chatting about the debate. Tonight should be way more fun because the field of clowns is more interesting. They have more clown skills and they're they're more famous clowns. There's Bernie, there's... uh, Hey. There's... Who else is on tonight? Oh, Joe Yang. So as much as I don't care about politics, it's a good reflection of culture. So it's fun to watch. Okay, I'm going to do a new bingo card. I'm just going to tweak it a bit because we played bingo last night and I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i put the link up. So if you guys want to get, because we left some things off. I'm going to put Russia on there and a few other things. Tailor it to the people who are going to be there tonight. So it's Creepy okay. Joe, it's Bernie, 
It's Joe Yang. So like UBI is going to come up, I assume. Is his name Joe Yang? I thought it was Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, and, and Marianne Williamson's going to be there. She's like the spiritual person. So yeah. I, might, I might put something about realizing or uh, what parenting your inner child. In her defense, she actually had a funny tweet about the debate last night. She said, I guess I should learn Spanish between now and tomorrow at nine. <laughs> she, look, I, I'm smiling when I talk about her, but I actually legitimately like her. Like, I liked some of the stuff she said. I think You'll be a horrible president, I'm sure, but she says yeah. fun thing. Yeah, but she's, that'll be very, very interesting and funny. All right. Thanks, everyone. Carrie, thank you for that story. Bye, guys.